Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome to another Modernizer Die CFML News Edition. It's August 11th, 2020, and I am Gavin Picking, a software consultant for Order Solutions. And today I have Brad Wood with me. So what would the star date be if we were like Captain's Log? Star date. Like what, what would that be for this episode? Does anybody know? I don't know. Anyone in the chat? Anyone? Any any Star Trek fans? I've always wondered, I mean, are star dates like a real thing? Like do people in the International Space Station actually have star dates, or is that just a a movie magic thing that, you know, Captain Picard did or whatever. I'm not sure. I guess we'll have to look that up for next time. All right. Next episode, I want to hear you and Eric had the star date. None of this normal U.S. date nonsense. Yeah, we confuse a lot of people I know with these U.S. dates. <laughs> Think of all the aliens in space watching our podcast that are like, August 11th, what's that? <laughs> yep. Well, at least we get a few more viewers that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, first, we just want to thank our sponsors, Order Solutions. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do this. Um, so one way you can thank them is to sign up for a live training from the makers of your favorite box product. In August this month, we have two different workshops going on. Uh, the first one is a one-day workshop from John Clawson on containerizing CFML apps. And the other one's a two-day workshop that you're leading. You want to tell us about that one real quick? Um, yeah, it's uh, our command box zero to hero to workshop. Zero to hero workshop. So basically everything you need to know about getting going with command box, focusing a lot on server management, since that's kind of the, one of the biggest features um, that people use for that. And um, one of the cool things about my workshop is we're going to give away um, a license to the command box service manager, um, which is like a $49 value or something uh, to all of the attendees. So that allows you to run your command box servers as services on Mac, Linux, or Windows, one of our paid modules. So little, uh, sweetening of the pot there for the attendees of the zero to hero command box workshop. Very cool. And then of course we have CFCast, which is releasing free and new paid content every week. So thank you. If you guys want to support auto solutions, those are ways you can do that. Also, thanks to the Patreon supporters. I think we have like 29 supporters now. So we're about 58% of the, the mark for fully funding our Modernizer Die podcast. Um, so if you want to help us, patreon.com slash order solutions, uh, you can, you know, basically sign up for a plan and all the money there goes towards the podcast and our other open source products. So thank you to all the Patreon supporters we have. And at the end, we'll give you a list of them to, so you can thank them yourselves. <laughs> Send flowers and cards, please. Yep. Okay, so let's get into the news and events. And the first thing um, this week is that Coldbox 6 was cooked last week and Louis said he was releasing it, but he is out of the office kind of a little bit last week. So he didn't actually finally release it. So everyone was asking, is it released? Is it released? I'm like, uh, so I don't think yeah, he fooled us. It's not quite released yet. It should be any day. I think he's back in the office this week. Uh, so hopefully we'll be getting that out, getting a cut and we'll let you know for sure. So sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> if you say your goose is cooked, that, that's a bad thing. So why is it a good thing that cold box is cooked or is it a bad thing? Well, it's fully cooked. I mean, if you're the goose and being cooked is bad, you know, uh, if you're the frog, <laughs> you can cooked is bad. But if you're waiting for dinner, having the food cooked is good. So if you say so, well, I guess it depends if you want sushi, maybe it'll go mm. raw, but I, I do like sushi. 
You like whole food bread, honestly. <laughs> You're right. I'll eat anything. My bar is low and my stomach is hungry. So, yep. So uh, we already mentioned that the command box service manager module will be given to our command box zero to hero workshop attendees. That was definitely a highlight of the week. So uh, if you guys want to find out a little more, we'll talk about that in the conference section. Uh, we also have a release for Preside. So they released 10.12. So um, it's a modest one, they said, is they're moving towards regular releases. But they said they have 33 completed tickets and 25 enhancements and new features. So um, it's nice to see them moving along and uh, still doing well. Um, another framework out there. And Preside is built on top of Coldbox and Commandbox, and it's running a modified it version is. of Lucy, right? So it's they're doing some pretty cool stuff. They're not just cookie-cutter stuff. So... Uh, well, yeah, that's one of the reasons I like Preside is because they, they definitely uh, exploit the power of Coldbox and Cashbox and Logbox and modules and all the, the goodness that Coldbox gives them. So um, the Preside guys are also just fun guys to be around. Yeah, they, they're <laughs> definitely pushing the boundaries and doing some cool stuff. So, uh, yeah, definitely check that out if you're looking for a CMS. It's a full featured system, a lot of great stuff in there. Okay. Um, we just want to tease you about the next Audis webinar because we have another one coming up here in August. Grant Copley did the the Wirebox one last month, which is already available on CFCast, but uh, we're going to be announcing the August webinar coming at the end of the month very soon. So uh, just want to remind you, keep up, um, and we'll have that information very soon for you. Okay, I just want to remind you that uh, we had a great CF online meetup last week hosted by Charlie Earhart and he had Brian class on there with him. So he did the, I didn't know S3 could do that. And so there's a, <laughs> that's a really good session. Uh, he's provided the links to the slides as well as the video. And that's all available uh, in the show notes here. So um, Brian always gives a great presentation. His AWS stuff is really, really powerful and he goes over a lot of the great stuff. So uh, definitely check that out. You might use S3 right now, but I bet you don't know half of the things it can do. So <laughs> definitely check it out. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. Brian's sessions always uh, work well to expose all of the functionality you probably didn't even realize was uh, built into S3, which is pretty cool. Yep. I like the, the life cycles and the different tiers. More ways to save money is always good. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then next week, the online CF meetup actually has two sessions. I actually double took when I was making the show notes here, um, but there's <laughs> two of them. So at 11 a.m. Central, we have Charlie Earhart doing a migrating or comparing CF admin settings. Um, so we wanted to basically look at different ways to compare CF settings between one instance or another. And so I'm hoping he's using CF config or at least uh, using it somewhere in there. But um, the other session is going to be one by Simon <laughs> McDonald, PWA's how we how do we get here and so, so how do we get about, here or how do we get there how do we, how get, did here? we get here well oh, yeah how, how did we get here sorry i was thinking it was how do we get here i'm like what do you mean you're here already <laughs> no, so yeah so basically looking at you know how it's evolved html and css and javascript over 25 years and you know basically how now they're sort of progressive web apps and what does it mean to be one and, and everything so that looks like a good session and that one is august 13th as well but that one is at 5 p.m. So just a couple of days away, you're going to have two great online meetups. So definitely check those out. Um, CFCast, uh, all the content um, last week was actually released on the Tuesday. So we're actually got to hit a schedule. So last week we actually announced way more than we should have. So uh, you, already, you already found out about that. 
But just a, a recap, um, there was some new videos on Quick 4, uh, QB8. There was a couple more classes added to the Coldbox Masterclass, as well as the Audis webinar for injecting dependencies with Wirebox from Grant. So, so yeah, a lot of great content. I've been working on my little screencast series as well. So my VS Code one, I'm fleshing it out. I've already got like three pages of an outline, so it's going to be a nice long series. Nice. So, so get that recorded soon, and maybe you guys will be able to check that out very soon. Okay, so next on our list, we have conferences so as we mentioned uh, into the box 2020 workshops uh we've got two more scheduled in august so you want to tell us a little bit more about your two-day workshop for the command box brad um, what do you, you think should, you're going to cover you should come and you should come there will be puppies rainbows double rainbows most likely and unicorns so what do you think you're going to cover in there obviously they're gonna you're gonna look <laughs> I at just the told you unicorns man <clears throat> okay no, well. so <laughs> so uh, our, our hope is to eventually have a, a hero to superhero for command box like we did with cold box so again this is the zero to hero so it's kind of the the introduction to command box you don't really need to have any any previous knowledge we're going to talk about the basic uh, cli usage um the kind of you know commands and things you can you can do from command box how to use the command help how to um you know, extend the uh, the CLI itself with things like modules. And then we're going to spend a lot of our time talking about servers. So deployment is uh, kind of a, you know, a big chunk of what developers spend their time with these days. So we're going to cover doing, you know, local development environments with command box, um, how command box, you know, plugs into Docker, though I'm not going to go too deep into Docker since John class and session is kind of like deep dive in Docker. Um, and then how you can use command box for deploying your servers. So that means the server.json, um, the box.json, the cfconfig.json, all those configuration files are all gonna be kind of what we cover. So you, if you take this workshop, by the time you're done, you'll kind of have a really good base of where to begin to run your code locally in command box. If you're you know, just using like a shared dev server right now and what it would look like um, to actually deploy your code on command box for staging or production, either in a VM or in Docker and some other environment. So that's kind of our goal is you come out having a solid understanding of how all the basics work, um, especially with servers. Very cool. Yeah. And unicorns. And unicorns. I expect, I expect some ASCII unicorns showing up in that presentation. Oh yeah. You know, I've had a, I've written a cat ASCII command in previous versions of this workshop. It was just a command that output a ASCII picture of a cat. So maybe it's time for the ASCII unicorn. I think you have to now. <laughs> <laughs> so we also. And uh, we always get good attendance. That's probably the most popular one these days, especially with all the Docker love out there. Um, and so that's going to be a one-day workshop from John. And the prices are different. So if you're doing the two-day workshop for you, it's eight ninety-nine, and then four ninety-nine for the one-day workshop. And uh, we obviously have the podcast code. So if you use podcast ten as your code, you'll save ten percent. So definitely want to check that out. Uh, and there was a blog post as well. Um, that's the one I was sharing on the local screen. And so we'll share that in the blog section for a little bit more information about it. And you can go sign up at autosolutions.com slash events to find out more about that. Okay. Sweet. We also have the jsconf.dev 
um, that conference we mentioned, uh, the Java conference. And if you sign up in the next few days, you can get an awesome swag box of goodies. I signed up, so I'll at least be able to report and tell you uh, what goodies they are sending out. But uh, the conference itself is September 30th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Central. Uh, it's free, and there's uh, Vin Cat's going to be there, and a, a lot of other great Java presenters. So definitely check that out. It's on my list, so we'll be doing that. Love Vin Cat. Yep. Yeah, I went through. I think before I did the streams uh, presentation into the box, I watched probably ten hours of Vin Cat. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, someone asked for a link to that conference. Uh, I will be posting that. it right now. Perfect. Yep, go sign up, get some goodies. Cool. And then we also have uh, the Adobe Cold Fusion certification. So since there's no in-person conference, you can do that online. And the good thing is you can start, it looks like, anytime. So um, there's a, a blog post out now, but there's also a link to register. So I'm going to share that in the show notes as well. Um, and then, yeah, you can do all of that online, including the test now, which used to be in person for the test. So glad to see they're, they're moving forward with that. And hopefully we can get a few more people out there and certified. And I wonder if they're going to have a list of certified people so you can search for developers and verify certification. Kind of neat. I don't know. Did they do that before? I'm not sure, but it'd be nice to have some way to, to verify that you're actually certified other than the certificate. As cool as it is. I know there's a few yeah. people with photos on the website, you know, Calvin Stanton, for sure. <laughs> hey, be proud of it, man. Yep. Okay. Well, Adobe Cold Fusion CF Summit uh, West, as we mentioned before, is not going to be in person anymore. It's going to be online. And they announced the dates November 17th through the 19th. And it's all going to be online and free. So if you go to cfsummit.adobeevents.com, you can find out a little more information about that. The most important thing right now, though, is the speaker sign up is ending on august 15th so this week brad yeah i need to get some stuff in for that <laughs> yes i do too so yeah don't want to leave it any longer procrastination is done it's time to deliver so we got to get those yep. presentations Panic monster Rawr! Put yeah. it in. and we always recommend if you haven't spoken before an online conference is a great way to do it so get started and this one is mm -hmm. a good example too so you don't have to worry about stage fright or anything when you're just talking to your computer so <laughs> When you're talking to your computer. That's all I'm doing right now, Gavin. I'm just talking to my computer. Yep. That's what we do most days. <laughs> cool. We'll see if camp, um, again, we don't have any more information yet. Um, with no in-person, hopefully they'll do some type of online thing. It'd be nice to at least get the, get the group together for some presentations and some socializing because of course this was the year I was really planning to go. I've been planning for years to go and I'm finally like, let's do it. And then COVID. <laughs> wah, wah. Yep. Yeah, it's not sucks. meant to be. Same with Scotch on the Rocks. I was planning to go there, and then they shut it down. Never to do it again. <laughs> they they heard you were coming. They were like, oh, no. Yeah, us Kiwis aren't allowed in Europe, obviously. So. <laughs> okay, well, let's get on to the blog suites and videos of the week. We got a, a fair number of them this week and some new ones, too. So first up, we got uh, Will Bruin, who's uh, got some good content. He's been doing a lot of... Uh, a lot of blog posts lately and really enjoying them and so this one he's doing mm -hmm. hey, hey gavin 
Gavin, I'm seeing in the chat that your voice doesn't come through when you're sharing the screen. Might want to check your OBS settings real quick. Ah, uh, you're right. This, I got a new uh, microphone and I messed it all up. So hold on, let me try and edit here. Or we can just have Gavin share his screen and I'll just like narrate what he's doing. Like we're scrolling, we're scrolling. We got some more text. There, that better. Sorry, guys. New microphone. Missed it all up. So what I was trying to say was, is that <laughs> Walter Burns um, presented into the box at, uh, on CP validation. Um, and he did a great session. And it was really, really good. And he's been helping some people uh, lately on in the chat and everything. And one of the things they were looking at was doing something with a UDF validator, but realized that it wasn't powerful enough. So the custom validators can uh, do a, a few things that UDFs can't. And so this blog post sort of talks about it and figures out, well, when would you want to use a UDF versus a, a custom validator? And so pretty nice. Uh, you know, he's got some examples and some targets. Um, and these are really, really cool. We've done quite a few of them recently, um, and I've, I've built a few of myself, and I really like them. So, um, yeah. It's so, not powerful enough. It's yeah, not it's, powerful enough. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, though. You can do some really good things with them, um, and they're not that complicated. It's just a CFC with a couple of functions, uh, and, you know, they just take certain validation um, arguments and <clears throat> go from there. So highly recommend this blog post if you're using cb validation or if you aren't yet i definitely recommend checking it out uh, you know save yourself all that cookie cutter code time so definitely should definitely right should check on. that out yeah Vil has some really good stuff he's uh he's dug deep into cb validation and cp security and several of the stuff um he helps contribute to the docs and uh he really understands it so we really appreciate the the blog post he's put out there thanks yep. bill so and that's somebody else that puts out a lot of good content is Ben Adele. And so this one here, he had an interesting uh, thought process or thought experiment where <laughs> he was looking at mapping arrays to structs and structs to arrays using mapping functions. And so okay. he talks about if you're having an array and you're going to end up with an array, you use map, right? And then if you're not, he was talking about different ways to, to do that. And so he sort of built his own little um, system to do that. So he created this little function, array to structs, um, and then basically passes in different a different function the map to and so it works through this process and in the in the comments i saw you talked about well why don't you just use reduce and <laughs> he was like well reduce is always kind of a weird thing and i kind of agree to him to be honest but um, it's not weird it's a little Jeez. different yeah so again map reduce they're all functions to sort of you know help you do the the code you write over and over again and but he sort of walked through this and you know a different approach and it was kind of interesting he uh, basically rebuilt reduce over again yeah basically <laughs> but a little more user-friendly and then in the in the comments as i mentioned you know you had this reduce option here and then you know you cleaned it up and then ben also said well that's why i just use a for loop and that's usually what i end up doing that's <laughs> Well, I yeah. mean, he did write a for loop. He just wrote it inside of a wrapper that behaved like reduce. I mean, it's all the map each reduce functions. I mean, what do you think behind the scenes and the Java implementation they have? They have some basic iteration. You know, the point is you it's abstracted away from you. So it's kind of the same thing at the end of the day. You either use CFML's built-in abstracted away from you for loop, which is reduce, or you, you know, write your own, which is what his blog post basically was. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, the reduces is kind of funny that you put your data in at the end of the calls. That's the only your, thing that your data. Oh, uh, you talking about the default value? 
yeah, it's a default value, basically. I mean, you have to you have to put it somewhere. I mean, I and so I'm, so like I mentioned in the comments, you know, the the reduce function takes you know two arguments. You have the closure, and when you have the default value of your accumulator, which really can be anything. You know, reduce can return a struct, an array, a, a string, a number, null, whatever you want. <clears throat> I had mentioned to him you can also initialize the default value of your accumulator in the closure itself. So you know, just parameter equals default value which I'll do sometimes. The trick with that is if the collection you're reducing is empty, the closure never runs and you get null back because it never gets initialized. Um, likewise, you can also not initialize it at all and you can just have an is null check inside of your closure to see if anything is passed in. But that has the same problem. If the collection's empty, um, that code will never run and you'll get null back, which may work for your purposes. But sometimes I'll do that if I know I'm reducing a collection that has you know some number of items in it. I'll just do right there in my closure declaration, You know. I like to call it ACC for accumulator because I'm lazy equals, you know, my default value. But um, I do think that's more readable than having it at the end of the closure sometimes. And I, I'm pretty certain that in Lucy and or Adobe, I need to test it. There were some syntax parsing errors. If you put an, uh, an, an initialization value for your accumulator and you tried to use an arrow function with no body, with no curly braces around it. Uh, hmm. I think it actually threw a, a syntax parser in there if you didn't have the curlies around the body. I'd have to check and see which engines that was, though. But anyway, yeah, fun stuff. It, it was it was a fun post to binge just to look at, you know, all the different ways we can do things. Because, you know, at the, at the end of the day, like we talked about in the comments, all the functional pro functional programming constructs can be done with just loops. I mean, this is yeah. uh, just another way of doing things. It's, it's kind of the trade-off is what do you... Uh, I'm, Scott's cracking me up. He's going to say, you get, got to get those curlies, fries in parentheses. Um, you know, it's just different ways of doing things. You know, the functional approach, you know, lets you encapsulate your variables. It lets you not write the looping mechanics. So it's it's all about, you know, trade-offs and readability. So I, I love these discussions. Yeah, for sure. I definitely like them too. Like I said, I mean, and that's the more we look at them, the more we get familiar, the more comfortable we are. and We're more likely to use those types of things. And they definitely save you time. I mean, there's definitely some boilerplate otherwise. So, okay. Next up on the list, we have a, a blog post that Cold Fusion needs to die. So this one definitely caught my dun, attention. Dun, dun. Yeah, I just read that a little bit earlier this morning. Yep. So David Bryars on the coldfusion.adobe.com site, and the summary is: it's time for a bold action to order to make Cold Fusion grow, and it starts by killing the reputation that Cold Fusion is anchored with. And I thought a couple of years ago we should totally rename it to like like some zombie reference or something because it's back from the dead and whatnot no one would know and if we don't call it cold fusion no one can call it anything bad and uh everyone ignored me but now david's having his turn so <laughs> <laughs> um I, it made me think of like uh it, of microsoft you know rebranding internet explorer as microsoft edge now i'm sure to some degree they also did some rewriting in the process but it's almost like they wanted to sort of like shed the just the name recognition of internet explorer and have you know a new branding um, clickbait. So the the post was interesting. It was sort of two prong, and I was I was hoping it would focus more on the first prong. The first prong was what the tagline hinted more at, which is we need to change the perception. Which, in my opinion, starts with us. It starts with the Cold Fusion developers. It starts with the apps we build. It starts with the libraries we use. It starts with the frameworks we adopt. Right. It starts with you know the way we talk about ourselves. Um, in the programming space. And when the second prong of the article was, you know, change the name, which is really more of a pure marketing shtick, 
right? You know, to be able to talk about cold fusion, but not use the word cold fusion. So now we call it hot fusion or something, right? Um, I wouldn't be completely opposed to just a, a name change. Um, but I, I think that's a smaller part than the first prong, just in my opinion, which is the way our community behaves. We need to, in my opinion, see widespread adoption of frameworks like Coldbox. We need to see widespread adoption of testing like Testbox. We need to see widespread adoption of Docker and modern deployment and, you know, getting rid of spaghetti code. Because I think that's what gave ColdFusion the bad name in the first place. You can change the name, but if the code still sucks, it's still, you know, sucky piles of legacy code, but with a new name. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if Adobe just renamed it Hotbox tomorrow or Hot Fusion tomorrow instead of ColdFusion. I don't know how much effect that would have other than us just being able to talk about it without the name, but it's still an interesting idea. I mean, it also made me think of, of Lucy um, trying to do Lucy Lang, which wasn't mentioned in the article, but this was on the Adobe portal. So it's understandable. Um, in fact, there's some people that are surprised Adobe's moderators even like approved the article. Um, though it wasn't overall negative or anything. Um, but I mean, you know, Lucy tried to do the same thing with Lucy Lang, which was, you know, a language that's not CFML, but, but like CFML. Um, but it didn't go anywhere for a couple of reasons. The first of all was resources. Lucy's like poor um, and has you know, a, a shoestring you know, budget and just a couple developers that do all the work that Lucy gets done. So the, uh, you know, the, the, the specter of building an entirely new language from the ground up that was you know, compatible with nothing um, was a super big problem. Um, and, and part of that was that Lucy Lang was going to be just enough incompatible that it wouldn't run. Um, it wouldn't, you know, you couldn't take an existing cold fusion app and just drop it on Lucy Lang and have it run because it was going to work a little differently. And so there's, there's always that like rebranding is one thing, you know, you just name it from cold fusion to hot fusion. Um, but if we're like, let's also reinvent it in such a manner that it's not backwards compatible and everybody with their legacy investments in cold fusion have no, you know, easy migration path over to hot fusion, then that, in my opinion, that's a super big problem. Um, which is why I think we see more success with having sort of a backwards compatible version of growing cold fusion, even though it means we get stuck with the warts, you know, that we don't like. Uh, it's a very, very interesting um, sort of ideas, you know, how, how much can you change the language without nobody using it because it's not compatible and how much do you need to change it? Cause how much is, you know, up here in people's head just when they hear the word. Um, and I think maybe it's probably somewhere in the middle, but it's hard to, Hard to say. I don't know if Adobe would ever seriously consider rebranding it. I don't know if Adobe cares. Yeah, I was gonna say they've probably got too much, much about the marketing, too much money you tied up in the brand of it. And I mean, <laughs> every government, everything that actually does use it and probably appreciate it, they'd freak out if it disappeared or whatever. I mean, yeah, everyone I think already freaks out now because they think. I it's think dying. there's an element that would be scared of it because I mean, because what's one of the things that giant government contracts like about Adobe Cold Fusion? It's stable, right? Now I say that. I mean, I just saw a tweet today that Adobe no longer, you know, runs like PhoneGap or, you know, one of their products. Adobe does cut products. But generally speaking, Adobe, giant fortune, whatever hundred company, you know, stability, lots of legal teams. They do their thing, 10-year roadmap. Um, big, you know, government stuff likes that. You know, you talk to a government contract. Yeah, we want to use some new fly-by-night technology. We're like, yeah, no, we're not interested. Um, oh, we want to use some technology that's been around for 20 years and it's owned by a Fortune 500 company. Okay, that sounds great. So, you know, to an extent, I think there's some of Adobe's base that would freak out of it if they changed the name all of a sudden and were like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? We've never heard of this. Um, so, I don't know, it's kind of a double-edged sword because 
there's two different minds here. There's the mind of the general purpose programming community, which frankly doesn't care about Fortune 500 companies and support. They care about the the image of legacy Cold Fusion. And then there's the primary customer base. I say primary. I don't know what the percentages are of Cold Fusion that are large corporate government entities that want stability, you know, in the language and the platform. Um. Anyway. Yeah, I just say if we rename all the file extensions to dot .zom dot .zombie, <laughs> at least it'll look cool for anyone who looks at it. You know, you can do that, right? I you mean, can. Uh, I, I Cold, used to do that. ColdFusion will process any file extension so long as the servlet filter mapping, whatever, matches it. And as long as your web server, IIS, Apache, whoever knows to send those files to the servlet, it's, it's possible. It might not yeah. be smart, but it's possible. Yeah, but I, mean, I guess if you put everything inside of Docker anyway, you don't let people see files anymore. So, mm -hmm. but I All thought right, I thought dot zombie would be just super cool because you know it's like the hip cool thing and no one will know and yeah. Anyways, and like you say, when you open it up, most people don't even know it's Cold Fusion because it looks like JavaScript. So, all right, Scott Steinbeck's like, what? What about PhoneGap? All right, is PhoneGap build specifically? Yeah, uh, I, I know he used to use that. I'm not sure if he still does, but yeah. All right, yeah. So in the in the chat for our live viewers, there's the tweet that Ray Camden sent out. Um, he said, pour one out for PhoneGap build. And it was a link to um, an Adobe forum where someone is saying that PhoneGap build is no longer maintained by Adobe. But I think PhoneGap build was a specific service that was like a cloud-based like build a, service for PhoneGap stuff. Yeah, it was built on top of the Cordova stuff because basically PhoneGap was like the Adobe commercial version of Wait, isn't Cordova. The, isn't the, that what the CF client stuff used? With yeah. the little Fusion builder thing? So, yeah. so does that mean you can't use CF client anymore? because well, <laughs> adobe doesn't uh, isn't running it but doesn't mean that they're not using it so but yeah interesting anyway um yeah so, in interesting stuff i mean yeah but yeah i mean so the, the back to our original blog post i mean it's an interesting um post uh definitely you know should make some of your gears turn like i said i <clears throat> i think there's more value to be had in a vibrant cold fusion community that looks and talks modern and codes modern than just in the name. I, maybe it's like 70, 30. I think it's maybe some of both, both, but um, I don't know. I mean, I look at other tiny communities like us, communities like closure, um, or, you know, or just newer languages that maybe have about as many users as us, uh, but they're like super active communities you know, their Slack teams have like 6,000 people and they have 10 times as many open source projects. You know, and you look at the conversations they have and they're deeply technical conversations about how the language is architected. Um, I don't see those sorts of things in ColdFusion. And I think that hurts the image more, in my opinion, than just the name and the legacy feeling that's tied to it. But Yeah, I definitely think it's not one thing will not solve it. Like you said, it's a group thing yeah. and we need to work together. But yeah, know, that's part of the reason why we built this podcast, right? Is to try and get people up to date and make sure people know what's going on in the community and, you know, different projects and updates and everything. So hopefully hey, you we're get helping. up to date. Uncle Sam wants you. Uncle Adobe wants you. Adobe needs a little um, needs a mascot. You know how uh, how Java. What was the guy's name? Uh, Duke had the little Duke mascot. Adobe needs a mascot. They never had one. The last Dev Nexus, they had a guy come out in a freaking like blow up Duke costume for the 25 years of Java or whatever it was. So that's what Adobe's missing. Cold Fusion needs the cute. What's the, the Golang? Has the little, like, looks like a six year old Druid, like, hamster. So we, we need to get Bolt, whatever. Back. Lightning Bolt guy. 
Uh, well, that was just a hand, but if we could get the rest of the body that hand was connected to, yep. you know, Ben Nadell might be the guy for this. Ben used to do like weird Photoshop mashups of like, you know, um, oh my gosh, I just forgot his name. The original Adobe Confusion Evangelist. Um, ben. Ben Forda. Forda. Thank you. Um, like he would do like mashups of like Ben Forda and centaurs or scorpions <laughs> We, we need Ben Nadell's Photoshop skills here to come up with a cute animal-based, you know, logo for Cold Fusion. That's what we need, folks. Okay, let's get that done, and then we'll uh, we'll see how that works. Okay, next up, we have a, a post from Steve Nealon. And this is actually a, a second post. Last week, he actually posted another one uh, about some SQL Server code. And so he's basically looking at getting recent entries in each group of records, and basically wanted to sort of go a little further and say, okay, if there's certain ones like that are repeated, they want to get the most recent entry. So just some, some basic SQL, but sometimes people, um, you know, not sure the best way to approach it. But so what this will do is actually go through and, and delete, um, basically duplicates. And so just a little bit of a, you know, a little helper there if you're looking at some, some SQL. And so he's got a couple of a blog posts recently, uh, about, you know, getting items and getting the group items together and stuff like that. So nice little short blog post, but useful if you're wanting to mess with some groups in your SQL. So, okay. Next up on the list, we have um, some something from Fusion Reactor. This one I thought was pretty interesting too, because the live cloud live mode is just like traditional on-premise Fusion Reactor. So I was like, ooh. Ooh. Yeah. So you had me at traditional on premise fusion reactor. Yeah. So fusion reactor cloud, the SAS solution has a lot of functionality that the traditional version has, uh, but it's perception has been, you know, not real time is sort of what's really struggled with, but apparently they've done a lot of work and now that they're added stuff like live graphs and everything and, you know, done some upgrades on that. So Are, can you click on any of those images? Are those actual cloud images? that you have there in the screen looks like it because it looks a lot different than the older cloud UI. Nice. So a little bit of backstory. Um, the prod, the, the original product owners or product managers, whatever the right phrase is um, of the on-premise fusion reactor product and the fusion reactor cloud were different people. And they kind of worked in their own separate vacuum um, <clears throat> connecting to the same backend agent, getting the same basic data, but the UI and the user experience was was fairly different between the two. Um, and that that was a, a friction point, because I mean, we use cloud, we have clients that use cloud, um, but the cloud interface doesn't always seem to have the same data in the same manner that's as easy to get to. And when you're dealing with something like Docker Swarm, that's, that's a problem because you can't target container number 17. Um, you're kind of stuck with just the cloud aggregate data, which doesn't have all the same data, it can be a little bit behind uh, as far as the caching they put in place. Um, and so, when I was talking with the Fusion Reactor guys at the last DevNexus that wasn't canceled because the world wasn't dying of COVID, um, the Fusion Reactor guys were telling me they were kind of consolidating those two projects and they had the same project manager now over both of them. And one of the biggest things they were looking at was parity between on-premise and cloud. So the, the user experiences would kind of merge and be more familiar to people, uh, which I think was a, was a great idea because that was kind of one of the pain points um, for that. So it looks like this is kind of that actually uh, being realized, which is very exciting because I love the cloud as far as how it's just, you know, this 
SaaS up in the in the ether, you know, collecting all the data from your containers, merging it together. But the user experience was always a little bit different. The graphs didn't function in quite the same way. So I love seeing that being brought more in alignment with the on-premise Fusion Reactor, which of course is what I've been used to using for years. And so you yeah, know, I, I know my way too. Yeah, exactly. Know my way around it. So I'm excited to play with some of the new um, cloud interfaces for sure. And the oh oh geez, I should probably mention this. Um, sorry, I was just thinking. I'm surprised there hasn't been a tweet about this. Um, from my understanding, uh, Fusion Reactor actually in just a couple weeks ago um, adjusted their cloud pricing. I believe I don't know if they've officially announced it. Um, I I was working with the Fusion Reactor guys doing um, some some uh, contract renewables. Uh, let's see, I'm just looking at their website right now. Yeah, on-premise cloud, yeah. So <clears throat> the cloud pricing has been cut like basically in half. Uh, so you, know, you pay by the hour um, on, a, on a per monthly basis. And so, you know, it's really easy to set up. You go and you put in your credit card and then they, um... oh, I see. So Charlie says it's been a quiet rollout. Hopefully I'm not spoiling anything right here. But yeah, like Charlie said, the prices are right here on the website. So the, the on-premise used to be like $79 a month and the cloud was like $149 or something in that neighborhood. So it was about twice uh, the price. And then one license is good for like four containers. There's all the details in there. Um, but what they did is they basically slashed the cloud pricing like in half. Um, and then uh, the the sort of upcharge you get for the the flex instances, the on-demand instances, because you can have reserve instances. I'm going to have a minimum of five containers online at all times, right? You pay like a cheaper price for that. And then if you if you bounce out past that and you turn on 10 containers for a week, you pay a slightly higher rate. That went from like a 10% um, uptick to like a 20%, but overall it's still actually a lot cheaper. So this is a great news for anybody that's been looking at cloud or looked at it in the past um, and was maybe pushed away from it because the pricing for the cloud was a bit higher. Um, actually, it was, it was quite a bit higher. It was about twice as high as the on-premise. They've really brought the pricing kind of in parity now too, which I think is really great because this actually makes it work a lot better for people who want to be able to have the cloud functionality because um, it's a lot cheaper now. And, you know, it's just basics on how many containers you have. It's, you know, like, you know, um, yeah. I forget the numbers. It's a few cents per hour, basically. Um, but the prices on their website reflect the current cloud pricing. And this all changed like two weeks ago. So um, it's a, it's really good news for cloud people. And if you were already a Fusion Rancher Cloud customer, you're just automatically getting the new pricing if you're doing the monthly billing with your credit card, you know, already put in there. Yeah, um, the best thing is, is that basically you're, if you're paying for ultimate on-premise, you get the cloud for free. That's basically what it is now. More or less, yeah, because the cloud used to really be like a separate offering, and now it's really just kind of one offering. You have the on-premise price, and then, hey, you had this, um, you know, cloud stuff as well. So, uh, you know, if you're doing any kind of um, scalable, you know, deployments, whether it's, you know, Docker Swarm, Kubernetes, um, you know, any of the, the AWS stuff, um, anything where the number of servers you have changes, and you want to be able to have consolidated graphing across all of them. There's no statistics gathering. Um, the cloud is really where it's at. And I love um, the the new pricing they had because it really, if you've looked at it in the past, look at it again because the prices are probably a lot different than they were the last time you looked at them. I'm, I'm a fan of it. And uh, luckily it came just in time for one of our clients I was helping renegotiate how they wanted to do over licensing. So they're all set up and it just, you know, they get billed. Uh, per month based on how many containers they have online. If they don't want to, you know, if they 
disable Fusion Reactor on their containers, they don't pay for it. So it's it's really a pure as you need uh, pricing model. Yes, they say one license seat per host, and that gives you up to four containers or four instances on a single host. So that's, that's yeah, good. And and as as Charlie just pointed out, you don't have to be doing a strict cloud deployment. I know that's like where super comes in handy. But if you just have like three on-premise deployments of ColdFusion, you can still benefit from the cloud stuff. If your if your server goes down and it's offline, you can't get to the on-premise Fusion Reactor page to even look at your metrics. But guess what? It's all still there on the cloud thing for you to look at. So obviously there are there are benefits to the cloud even if you just have a set number of of on-premise servers. So. That is, a, that is a very valid point, Charlie. Yep, I definitely need to check that out for a couple of clients. The it, pricing differences will be a big big standing point for them. So. Yeah, absolutely. If you have a standard license, I think it kind of just makes sense, to be honest, in my opinion, to move over to the cloud, especially since if they want to turn it off for a week, they don't pay for anything for that week. Yeah. Which for some people uh, with the you know coronavirus hurting their business um, and money being tight, you know, that gives them more control to be able to choose how much they want to use it until business, you know, comes back again and they can afford to leave it on all the time. Yep. Okay. Enough sales for uh, fusion reactor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, this we, concludes we our fusion reactor sales portion. <laughs> we just okay. love fusion reactor. Dang it. Yeah, we do. I need to install it for another client. They're having issues with something like you can't do much really without fusion reactor. Let's get that and we'll fix it. <laughs> like why is this page slow? Well, what does fusion reactor say? Oh, I don't have that. Well, when can when can you have it? <laughs> yeah. Call me back when you have it. <laughs> okay. Next up, we, we have a, another one from Ben Adele. So this one's interesting. Is numeric and format number can work for very large mm. numbers in Lucy? Yeah. I saw the tweet for this. He said I before I used to be con uh, you know concerned about the signed integer in Cold Fusion, and how basically if you were using those, sometimes the larger numbers it would do some crazy stuff. <laughs> and so um, he wanted to you know put it together a little demo as usual. Um, so basically what he does is just keeps adding uh, you know, a zero onto the end of this, the number and basically checking to see is it numeric and trying to format it and mm -hmm. see what happens. And so he rolled through and you know, you see the numbers getting higher and higher. Uh, oh, nice. And so it does work with some pretty high numbers. You'll notice right here, though, that uh, it, it didn't go to 100. It went to 99.9999999000, which was interesting. And so you'll see that some oh, so you, yeah, the number starts to change, get some internal rounding or something. Yeah, so basically, instead of being you know one more, or actually it would be like a bit you know what a, a trillion more, uh, it messes it up. But the funny thing is, down this one here, you see that all the way across, all zeros except for there's a one in the middle. <laughs> so I don't know how that one works. The rest of them you can understand. It's like a, a rounding to a certain degree. But That's there was no funny. errors thrown, at least. But it, it, uh, scroll up. How's he outputting these? Is he putting them through number format? Yeah. So he has his numeric value. So just is true or false, and then number format value. Number format. Just number format. Okay. I was just curious if number format did any kind of rounding. It's yeah. It's tricky sometimes to debug some of these kind of floating point math type of things because a lot of times ColdFusion will inherently do rounding and such. Um, just when you output it. So you have to be careful about how you output it. Um, sometimes you can tap into one of the underlying methods on the Java lang double or whatever the actual data type is or call two string on it to get like just the raw representation. Um, yeah. Well, it's, okay, it's, Java lang integer, it looks like. Well, he's saying usually <clears throat> for that, you basically get to like 
two billion and then that's like the max 2.147 billion that's the max for the java lang integer class but with the cold fusion it keeps going way beyond that before it starts to even doing weird things so like okay so it was interesting you know like i said hopefully we don't have to use that but he had to look it up it's sextillion is what it was that's when you get to jankiness sextillion a sextillion gotta love that so if you're ever dealing with a variable and you want to know what it is uh, so I just tried this in the command box REPL. I type T equals five. And then so if you do T or whatever your variable name, dot get class, which is a function, dot get name, which is a function, that'll show you in my instance, java.ling.double. Um, so if you're ever curious what the data type is you're dealing with, and this will work with pretty much any cold fusion variable because they're all a Java class in the day, just do dot get class, dot get name with parentheses because um, there are function calls. So and that'll tell you the underlying Java. So what we use. should do is we should get this little bit of code and then throw in an extra echo, which is the <clears throat> the type. And then we can see if the type changes as it devolves. See, that would be that would be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Do you get a different type back? And sometimes I'll do that to then go look at the Java docs for that class and find like a, a two string equivalent method or something just so I can get like the raw implementation out of directly out of it from Java without letting cold fusion output it and possibly do some, you know, funny nonsense. Because a lot of the floating point operations people run into, they'll have a number that appears to be off by one. But when you actually like kind of dump out the raw value of the Java link double or whatever it is, you'll see the full like dot nine 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 kind of stuff that, you know, got rounded up without you realizing it. Which is kind of like the the Heisenberg, you know, principle that the behavior of of some of these variables can change as you view them just based on how how you view them. them yeah totally cool well he also has another one here um so benadel being busy again so this next one is performing an in-place natural sort on an alphanumeric array in lucy <coughs> so did you have a chance to check this one out brad you know i saw the headline for that and i clicked on it and scrolled through it, but i haven't actually read this post um it made sense we was talking about based on this little example yeah so <coughs> Basically, you know, he describes what a natural sort is, where the technique mm -hmm. where the number is embedded within a string or tr uh, treated autom atomically. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So basically, it, sorting mean, the, through them. The difference is if you look at like the array sort function, you have the different sort types. You have like text or numeric. And that's because one should sort before one, zero, or 11, or however it works. So if you try to sort numbers as just raw text, you'll get them out of order. And so the problem is he has numbers here embedded inside of text. So how do you sort the overall thing, but really just looking at the numbers? So it's it's something that would be a very common need for like a user interface where you want to sort a string, but you just want to sort based on kind of a, a substring inside of it, which you want to treat as a number. Yeah, because obviously 100 should not be before five, but if normal text, that would be the case. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. His example shows that perfectly well right there. <clears throat> Very cool. Yep. And so this is how the native sort, but with a natural sort, it comes out the way you expect it would. Interesting. I'm curious if that's something you could wrap up as like a reusable UDF or not. Because the problem is based on your use case, the number could be, you know, did a different place in the string. And I think he's basically breaking the strings apart on spaces, you know, and grabbing the part he wants to actually sort on. Hmm. So probably be yep. difficult to reuse that logic since it might be a little specific to your use case. Yeah. But again, always interesting. Very interesting. It makes me think too much for Tuesday, but very interesting. 
So as we mentioned earlier, Preside uh, release notes for 10.12.0. So if you want to walk through here, this is a, a pretty big list for their modest release here. But that's uh, pretty Preside. So nice the to see that. Preside. No, it's a buy. It's never mind. Sorry about that. I clicked the wrong button. Oop, oop. <laughs> Podcast is done. Podcast is done. Nope. Fooled you. <laughs> We also had a blog post from Gregory Alexander. Uh, for a while, he was Galaxy. updating the Galaxy yeah. blog. We haven't he seen was... the Galaxy blog in a while. Yep. And so uh, this blog post here basically says that it's been a while since he posted. Um, he's been busy at work working on clients, and he has been working on the Galaxy blog. He's actually used it for several clients now, and they've been working on updating the independent blog page. And he's also been working on getting the Cold Fusion RM uh, in there and completely overhauling the original blog cfc interface so uh, hopefully we'll have some updates for you on that coming soon so it's not dead don't worry about it uh, <laughs> he's just been busy like a lot not of us dead yet <laughs> yep and then of course the last blog post of uh for this week is our blog post about our two workshops so we looked at this briefly before but uh, if you want to find a little more information about what's in the workshop you can and as i mentioned on the website if you go to events, events overview, you can see our upcoming trainings here. So there's John's on the 20th, containerizing CFML apps, and then command box zero to hero by Bradley Wood. And then we have a couple others that Bernardo were, uh, were bookmarked, but uh, I think these are probably going to have to disappear or change because uh, things have changed. So Yeah, I'm guessing Singapore is probably not going to happen. Yep. I mean, that's, 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 that is not an official announcement. That's just me commentating. But yep. <laughs> seeing how the world is still battling with the COVID stuff, I, know I every, would be afraid to go traveling around the world, unfortunately. Yep. Everyone's all, uh, you know, proud of how New Zealand is dealt with COVID and everything. But I yeah. found out that they got like six new cases yesterday out of the blue. They've got cases again. Mm. So for all my friends in New Zealand, they'll walk around with no masks. Everyone's back at school. Everyone's back to normal. But oh, really? Yeah, they have been there. Like, they I, find it hilarious that we all have masks and doing all this crazy <laughs> stuff. But now they've got a few cases just pop up. So I don't know how or why, but well, I just found that out uh, today. It's going to be a little while. I mean, I just flew to Montana last week. Uh, it was a vacation. We, did, we had booked the flights already before the COVID stuff. We had to, like a year to use the stuff. So we're like, well, we're going to go to the middle of nowhere and chill out in a log cabin with like nobody around. But just getting there, you know, we had to to fly you know you have to wear your masks and masks in the plane the entire time if it like it slips down into your nose like oh sir you're gonna have it over your nose like oh, sorry. yeah no fun so yeah. i wouldn't i wouldn't want to have to <laughs> to no. fly to singapore it's sad but hopefully this will all be behind us sooner or later because i miss all these in-person conferences and workshops all these people i get to see once or twice a year and i just get to talk to my computer nowadays that's all i get to do yeah, my, my brother's having a kid soon, and my parents want to visit to see the baby, but of course they have to wait. Um, and if they do come from New Zealand over here, they just may not be able to get back, or they may have to pay for quarantine when they get back. Cause well, yeah, really it's that. Self, you have to quarantine in a lot of places for 14 days. Yeah, and if you do it by choice, you got to pay for it yourself. So, you know, Ooh, so they got to go back to New Zealand, spend two weeks in a hotel. But if I go visit them, I might do that, and I'll get some work done so <laughs> yeah like two weeks in a hotel um, i hear productivity calling yeah exactly as long as the wi-fi is good i gotta check that out before i go so i always i'm gonna try and go oh in match fingers crossed but uh anyways so next on our list we have find a job 
So, Get a job, you deadbeat. So uh, we have like 50 plus jobs on getcfmiljobs.com. Uh, we have one new one. Uh, so this is for a full-time Confusion developer in Morrisville, North Carolina. It was posted on August 8th. Morrisville. Yeah. All right, let's do a quick check. Any any cold box reference? Mm, let's see how many years experience. Five plus years of relevant software development experience. See, that's good. So that means if you have a really good solid, you know, PHP oh. background, maybe they would count that. They want Dimmons? framework one or other Dimmons? OO frameworks. Okay, well, cold fusion we got their OO frameworks. All right, yeah. cold box. I mean, demonstrated proficiency. All right, all right. Strong knowledge of stuff. Jira. <laughs> so it's a good solid job app. And you can find out more about the company right here. I don't know what it is. This is from the Indeed website. So that's one of the things I like about the Get CFML jobs. It, it pulls these jobs in from all the different sites like Indeed and Monster and everything and shows you in one place. It's kind of like Fusion Reactor Cloud. It pulls all the data into one place. Okay, Brad, how much are they paying you? <laughs> nothing gavin nothing <laughs> not enough not enough we also have another job i found on twitter and so this is a uh, through a website called leading response and it's a cold fusion or cshop.net developer um so they're looking for you know somebody with a two-year degree a full-time position in tampa um they have a travel percentage included as well and so it looks like some interesting things in here um so called Fusion and Microsoft.net is what they're using with SQL Server. They want you to develop in-tier web-based applications. What does in-tier really mean? I mean, some number of tiers. That word's not a, yeah, not too simple. Tiers for fears. That's T-I-E-R, by the way, not T-E-A-R. <laughs> yep. Okay, so yeah, a couple of good job opportunities there. And again, getcfmiljobs.com has a lot of great uh, jobs available listed there. So check that out. Next on our list, we have Forgebox module of the week. And this week, it's actually a, a pretty simple little uh, command box module. But I wanted to show you guys because uh, two reasons. I think it's pretty neat, although command box does have some of this functionality built in. Um, I haven't even seen this published August 5th. So this just came out when I was on vacation, probably. Yep. And so what it allows you to do is to basically create some bookmarks. And so it's pretty simple. You can list your bookmarks by using bookmark list. You can add a bookmark. So you give it a name and then give it the path and then it remembers it. And so if you want to later, you want to go to something, you just say go to and you know, the name so, of the folder so and you jump there. You're, you're bookmarking directories basically. Yeah, so just easy way to jump around. And I know with um, yeah. Command Box, if you have a server already, you can um, basically just CD into the server name and it'll it'll do server that, right? CD. Yeah, the server, server CD. CD command will jump to the web root of a server. But if you haven't started a server in that directory, you can't use that. Because I use that all the time, but like literally just this morning before the podcast, I wanted to jump into a project that's just a collection of task runners that I have for a client. And I don't I don't start a server in that directory, so I can't use server CD to get to it. So I've I've talked on the mailing list about some sort of generic bookmark functionality in, in command box, but it was never quite a compelling enough, you know, feature to build it. So I'm glad to see somebody's made it as a module. This is perfect. Yeah, you want I, to yeah I like it. And the cool thing about it, too, is if you're thinking about a, a module or something, this is a very simple module. And he's got something like he's got the plus and the minus as well as add and delete. But if you want to add some trickiness, he just extends the add. So that automatically works. Um, 
And the add function itself, like, oh, it's, just, actually, it's just a simple CFC. He you know? actually so, has CFCs called plus sign. Yeah, and I thought that, that was works. pretty interesting, too. I've yeah. never even tried that. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear that hurts. That, that hurts. That works. Yeah. So, so it looks like he's just storing these in the module settings. Yeah. So Perfect. that's exactly how I would have done it. Yeah, Good job. So, exactly. So I thought <laughs> was, if you want to use the module, cool. If not, if you were thinking about making a module, um, this is a nice little one to, you know, nothing too complicated. It's simple, but it's clean and it works really well. And he's using was, some of the things like yellow text, bold line. He's using some of these functions you should be using. Um, yeah. So I just thought if you guys are thinking about maybe I want to make a command, this would be kind of a nice one to do. Yeah. This is a really nice, uh, like, fully working, but still like very basic um, little module to look at. Yeah, I mm -hmm. love this just using the config setting. So if you were to type config show in your in your CLI, you would see this is all just stored as just good old fashioned uh, module settings, which is nice. That's yep. a cool little module. I like it. I might actually uh, try playing around with it. Cause like I said, I get a lot of mileage out of the server CD. Um, but I have quite, I have just tons of projects I jump around between and I have a handful of places I like to, you know, directories on my, on my hard drive, I change into that I don't have a server and I'll admit sometimes I've started a server, a dummy server in a folder just so I could use server CD <laughs> to be able to CD into it, which is kind of lame. Uh, but this would, uh, this would allow me to just create an ad hoc bookmark without having to have a server. So. Yeah. So Charlie asked an interesting question too. He says, can you use the bookmark names and other things where a folder will be used, like cfconfig pointing to the folder holding the config files for a CF for Lucy? Now, with the current setup, I don't think you could, but there could no. be like a, a bookmark info where you could give it the name and it would give you the path back or something. You could add that as a as a little an extra command. So You couldn't change the core command functionality, however, um, inside of command box. However... What would be interesting is if <coughs> command box emitted some new interception point called like, you know, resolving folder path that a module could listen to and have an opportunity to do its own custom expansions on the path prior to the default logic inside of command box firing. Um, Cause that would actually allow you to modify like, which could be dangerous, mind you, but it could potentially allow you to modify like the underlying functionality of how command box, um, you know, expands a relative path to a, to an absolute path. Uh, that's oh, an interesting idea. I was thinking about just echoing it out using the, you know, the syntax we use elsewhere, you know, when you get the version to output into a box script, that's what I was thinking. But well, yeah. I mean, you could do that inside the parameter list, but if there was a command that internally just ran the CD, you know, command or something like that, that you couldn't directly touch. Yeah, um, wouldn't enough. let you do it. The only, the biggest concern I would have, because uh, I mean, it would it would take just a matter of seconds to implement that. The biggest concern I would have would be the potential performance overhead um, if you had some process that's resolving like hundreds or thousands of paths, and if every single one of those now announces an interception point, which something might be listening to and running custom logic. Um, but I guess we'd have to test it. That's an interesting idea, though, Charlie. To be able to, I mean, because because command box has kind of built in expansions such as the tilde expands to your user home directory that's mm -hmm. actually command box doing that because uh, windows has no concept of tilde having any meaning on the file system but in command box if you do cd tilde it drops you in your user home even on windows because command box has special logic that says hey if it starts with a tilde that means you know turn it into this so that would be an interesting idea to be able to modify the internals of command box to have your own custom contributed and that's the power of interceptors folks 
Won't find yeah. those in Framework One. Well, Scott, interceptors, baby. Scott said, uh, <laughs> "If it takes seconds, you should do it now." So I'll read the Patreon I just list. Did it. It's done. <laughs> I'll read the Patreon list, and you can finish that while we finish the show. But before it act- that, <laughs> it would actually be easy. I would just go to the resolve path method in the file system util, and I would announce an interception point. I would pass the relative path in, and then I would accept back the intercept data. And if the interceptor had changed it, I would use it. It's, it's, it's really like three lines of code. Okay. Well, you can do that here in a minute. But first, let's talk about <laughs> obvious code, hence tips and tricks of the week. So this one here is actually something that I ran over on uh, Twitter. Sorry, I ran it over. But uh, it was pretty interesting. So um, one of the cool things about VS Code is the search abilities. But this one is called Search Editor Apply Changes. And so what it allows you to do is to actually search for something. And so it's got a cool little animated GIF. But when you search for something, you can actually see all the different places that that is found in your files and basically Ooh. edit them all in place and save them all at the same oh, time. So it gives you like multi-cursor edit, but from the search results. Yeah. So you can basically nice. find them in all these places and just change them. Instead of doing a find replace, yeah, you do multi-cursor and you huh. actually will save it in the workspace. Curious how that works if you have like a thousand results as opposed to four like the... Yeah. Example shows. That's a good question. But uh, yeah, nice little ones. You run a search, then you edit them, and then you basically um, run the command apply search editor changes to workspace, and it'll go and do that. It does give you a warning, though, that the, the workspace has to be in sync with the search editor before making those changes. So I guess if you haven't saved something, it might override the, the change in the middle in the meantime. Um, but yeah, it's basically just a nice little new one. And you can do some key bindings too. So you could basically pull it up nice and simple. But yeah, again, it's one of those little little teeny tiny modules that could be pretty useful and pretty handy. So I like it. <coughs> yep. Very cool. So next up we have our Patreon supporters. So we have about twenty-nine of them, I think, now to, to thank for uh supporting us financially through Patreon. And uh your support obviously supports these podcasts, but also things like Command Box, Forge Box, Cold Box, and Test Box, and all the other boxes out there. Box um, box. Yeah, there's lots of box. Boxy box box. Uh, you can find <laughs> out more information about it through patreon.com slash order solutions. And as I mentioned, I will read the name so you can make that change, Brad. So thank you very much to Ben Adele, Brett DeLine, Calvin Stanton, Charlie Earhart, Dali, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, David Ballinger, Tadia Lesnicki, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Jim Carlo Gomez, Jan Yannick, Jason Dager, Jeff McCain, Jeremy Adams, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamery, Kai Koenig, Lex Matarahadi, Mario Rodriguez, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Scott Steinbeck, Sean Oden, Stephen Klotz, Simnatrix, and Yogesh Mathur. So thank you, everybody who supports us. And you can find out more about them on autosolutions.com slash about dash us slash sponsors and it's great to see so many of you in the chat room talking away giving us trouble but uh one of the benefits of watching live you guys heckle us from the chat room so are you finished brad did you commit that code is it ready to download no i'm messaging someone on slack oh slacker i'll think about it i'll do some testing like i said you have to be careful with interception points you start announcing like thousands of them they'll three milliseconds a piece all of a sudden can add up and before you know it, but well, I guess you'll have to use fusion reactor to it. double check. Make sure. Oh, it's I safe. do. <laughs> fusion reactor can be used from the command line in the actual command box. CLI. There's a, there's a page on the blah on the docs and there's even a screencast about it. So 
Okay, so next week, Brad, wear your Fusion Reactor shirt so we know who you work for. I don't think <laughs> I have any Fusion Reactor shirts. Well, they'd be able to fix they, that. They never give away shirts. They always give away, I, I probably have one right here somewhere, yeah. a little Fusion Reactor coffee mugs. Yep. The monitoring, stay calm, keep monitoring, and yeah, mm-hmm. yep. you got some good swag, but yeah, you need a t-shirt or something, huh? I'll, I'll, I'll talk to David Tattersall about that. I'm like, come on, man, where's my t-shirt? Yep, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you everybody so much. It's been a, a good episode, a good week, and uh, hopefully we'll see you all next week for a lot more. Oh, Adios. don't forget Adobe CF Summit speaker registration this week, Brad, and everybody uh, else. I know. Remind me again later on. Yep. And then two more sessions for the CF meetup this week as well. So have a good one, everybody. Catch you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.